Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons. And this is Reset, your source for news, politics, and culture. Screens are a constant presence in our lives, even for young kids. From toys that teach the ABCs and 123s to tablets that promote reading, and eventually to smartphones with social media sites like TikTok, Snapchat, and Instagram. But those screens are also advertising products to kids, while also collecting your kids' data. So what's going on here? Well, according to our next guest, it's training kids to be consumers and affecting kids' values, the way they learn, and even how they form relationships. On the line is Susan Lin, author of the new book, Who's Raising the Kids? Big Tech, Big Business, and the Lives of Children. I want to start with your background. You're a psychologist, but you're also a ventriloquist and a children's entertainer. Your puppet, Audrey Duck, made frequent appearances on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Tell us more. I became a ventriloquist um, as a child and earned my living that way for a lot of my life. Um, I was so fortunate to be able to work with Fred Rogers, both on his show, but also making videotapes about difficult issues for kids. And um, that's the intersection between, I think, my puppets and um, my being a psychologist, is that they're just such a powerful tool for helping children talk about feelings and gain, you know, some sense of mastery over difficult issues in their lives. I posted that I was reading your book on Instagram this week, and a couple of parents said, this sounds scary. Um, should parents be scared? You know, I, I think we should all be concerned about how much power big tech and big business have in the lives of children today. And um, I think I understand that parents think it's scary, but first of all, it's really important for them to understand what's going on. It's important for them not to feel guilty. It's really hard to be a parent today. And part of what's hard about it is that this commercialized digitized culture that kids wake up to every day is toxic for them. So I think it's important for parents, for everybody to understand that this is a problem for society. It's not just a problem for families. Yeah, you make a point in the book that this is not parents' fault. No, I mean, there are certainly things that parents can do to um, to protect their kids from, you know, this onslaught of um, digital advertising and, and the push to keep kids on screens all the time. For instance, they can make sure that meals are screen-free or, you know, find one at least one night a week where nobody's on screens. I mean, parents can try to limit their own screen time the amount that they're on their phones, for instance, I mean, I'm not talking about work. I'm talking about scrolling through social media and stuff. They can limit that when they're with kids. But it, it's 
important to remember that one family in isolation can't buck completely this, you know, trillion dollar industry working day and night to undermine parents and target children directly. Let's make the relationship clear between tech and advertising. What is going on here? Okay, so I think we need to remember that these devices that we love so much were basically created to sell us things. And and the business model of tech companies is is basically they're in a war for our attention and the attention of our children. And they're in that war. They want to keep everybody on screens as much as possible because they make their living by selling advertising to companies. That's how they do it. The more we're on screens, the more advertising we are subjected to. And the advertising can be really subtle. I mean, we can not even notice it. It could look like a story. I mean, it certainly could be a pop-up ad. It could be a game like what they call advert gaming. Um, It could be influencers talking about how much they love the product, a particular product, without understanding that they're basically being paid to um, to say that, or they're getting free products because they talk about them, you know, in TikTok videos, for instance. What happened to children's programming in the 1980s that paved the way for where we are today? Yeah, that's really important. So what happened um, in 1978, the Federal Trade Commission announced that they were going to ban advertising to children under the age of eight. And because of research showing that kids didn't understand persuasive intent. And also, they were going to ban junk food advertising to kids as young as 12. Well, clearly, that didn't happen. And interestingly enough, with the junk food advertising, that was before the childhood obesity epidemic. And one thing you know that we know for sure is that junk food advertising does affect what people, adults and children, eat. So what happened is that every single industry that profited from advertising to kids, the sugar industry, the toy industry, the fast food industry, they all put pressure on Congress. And Congress, you know, basically defunded the Federal Trade Commission for a while and also made it much harder for them to regulate marketing to kids. And then In 1984, under Ronald Reagan, children's television uh, was deregulated, and that meant that it was okay to create programs for the sole purpose of selling toys. And it was also just at that time that, that the technology began to really take off. I mean, suddenly, you know, we had videos, and then we had mp3 players and and then um cell phones and then smartphones and tablets and and then that's how we got to where we are today you you had a book that came out years ago called um consuming kids and you write in the beginning that originally it was suggested that you do this as an update that you update that book but you realize that digital technologies and advertising were more sophisticated and manipulative. So what's happening? What's the difference between television and tech and screens today? For one thing, when television had data about, you know, 
what people like. They did surveys, surveys and things. But tech companies have huge amounts of information about what we do online and what our kids do online. And, and now with all of these smart devices, they know a lot about us when we're offline as well. And so they can target advertising, you know, specifically to meet our vulnerabilities, our loves, our, our hates, whatever. They know way too much about it. And the advertising is personalized and it's so much more powerful today. What effects do you think this has on children long term, specifically when it comes to their social values and their ability to function as critical members of society? Well, the one thing that people need to remember is that advertising doesn't just sell products. It sells values and behaviors and the values of um, of the marketing industry or corporate values um, are they undermine child development and also they're not good for democracy either. For instance, one value is um, brand loyalty. I mean that's incredibly important to corporations. A brand loyal customer like lifetime brand loyalty is worth huge amounts of money to companies, but brand loyal customers. They don't notice so much about changes in the product or price increases. They, they tend to just keep buying. Brand loyalty, it's not, it's not useful in a democracy. You know, what we really, we really need, because, I mean, if you translate that, like to, we, now we talk about political brands and, you know, presidential brands, and it's important for us all to be able to think critically. And so being, you know, unthinkingly loyal to a particular party or a particular politician or a particular brand, you know, is is problematic. But also um, marketing values um, impulse buying, you know, and that is, you know, antithetical to, you know, well thought out critical thinking. We're talking to Susan Lynn. She's author of the new book, Who's Raising the Kids? Big Tech, Big Business, and the Lives of Children. Uh, You tell this one anecdote in the story that I would love for you to to tell listeners about Mattel's Aristotle, um, how they wanted to create this device that would have taken on some parental duties. Can you talk about what Mattel was trying to do and how you and other activists got it to stop? You know, at the time, I was um, the founding director of an organization that at the time was called um, Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood, and now it's called Fair Play. And what Mattel wanted to do is create a device that would start out as, as both a baby monitor, but also as something that could play soothing music to kids and that it would its uses would grow as the child grows and it would be able to soothe children it would be able to answer their questions it would be able to help for help with homework and so at fair play we got information about this product and we started a campaign and basically basically what happened is that there was so much outrage about it that Mattel actually um, um, didn't never launch the product. But I think what people need to think about is that the personal devices that we're also found, fond of today, 
basically can do the same thing. Alexa is marketed, first of all, as being commercial-free, yet they have a feature called I'm Bored, where a child can say, I'm bored, and Alexa will suggest things to do. Well, when I tried it, disguising myself as a four-year-old, every single thing that it suggested that I do was connected to some kind of brand, like Barbie or American Girl or SpongeBob SquarePants or Star Wars. So basically everything they suggested to the child I was pretending to be was an advertisement for that product. And what child doesn't like to say, I'm bored? I'm so glad you told me this. I will not have my six-year-old telling Alexa, I'm bored. I'll just let her continue (laughs) telling me that and me telling her only boring people are bored. Um, In your view, how does having a relationship with screens affect a child's ability to learn self-regulation and critical thinking? Yeah, let me just, can I just go back to boredom for just a minute? Yes, yes. Okay, because I think what what um, what we need to remember is that boredom is useful for kids, and it's useful because it throws them back on themselves. If we don't immediately provide something for they, them to do, they have to think of something themselves. They have to figure it out. And, and you know, children are capable of doing that, and it's important for them to be able to do that so that they don't have to turn to devices for stimulation or for soothing so that they have, they can build, you know, those, I like to call them muscles inside of them that allow them to create their own amusement, amusements to find things to do. And, and Mike, to, to your, the question that you just asked, my concern, one of my concerns, I have many about very young children and devices is that everything happens so quickly and easily that they they don't need to have stamina they don't they it, they tend to learn to expect instant gratification and that's a problem because you know a lot of things that are worthwhile are not instantly gratifying they take a lot of time and one of the things about the the kind of play that kids can do when they're not online, like building with blocks, for instance, it takes time, it takes patience, and those are important skills for kids to develop. You aren't making an argument to not use screens, you're not making an argument to be a Luddite. Uh, but for a lot of us, giving our kid a screen for an hour is the only way we can get anything done sometimes. So what is the balance in using technology for education, for fun, but also not being totally consumed? Yeah, I mean, that's a hard one because, you know, because the what's on the devices we use is created by people who don't want us to balance that. You know, it's in their best interest that we're not balanced about that. Um, I think that for for babies and toddlers, except for um, video chatting with people who love them, there's really no benefit to them for being on on a device or on a screen, despite the fact that a lot of you know apps are marketed as educational for babies. There's no evidence that they are. And so I think that if we can postpone it, postpone, you know, letting our kids, you know, be on devices or, or 
or, you know, using them to try to calm things down, if we can postpone that, it's really, you know, we're better off and our kids are better off. Because one thing that happens when we give kids devices um, when they're really young is that they, we tr- we're training them to turn to phones and tablets in order to, to soothe or amuse themselves. So I think it's really hard to be a parent today, and I think that it's hard, you know, to resist this push to get kids on screens. But I think that, that what, what, what parents need to do is, is to carve out screen-free times for their kids, to recognize that for very young kids, there's really not much that's beneficial, that that kids benefit, young children benefit when they're exploring the world with all of their senses. You know, as I say in my book, I didn't, I didn't write this book to make parents feel guilty. I have a lot of, of, of empathy for parents today. Um, And, and so that's why I also think that another thing that parents can do is, is, is get, you know, hooked up with the advocacy groups that are taking this on in a big way. Yeah, I will I mean, say that I, I, I appreciate that this was not a judgmental book. I think parents should read it. And the end of the book has a number of resources for parents who need help in this area and also a list of advocacy organizations that are taking on this work. So we've been talking to Susan Lynn, author of Who's Raising the Kids? Big Tech, Big Business and the Lives of Children. Susan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, and have a good holiday. You too. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic. It was edited by Andrew Merriweather. Want more insightful conversations like this? Then subscribe to our podcast. And when you do, do us a favor and leave us a rating. It really helps more listeners find us. All right, that's all for Reset. I'm Natalie Moore. Have a great holiday. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.